cried watching it at home, and I wouldn't want to just be up here and start crying. That is so great. I was in Orlando last weekend and called Jeff afterwards and uh, missed it, but he was telling me all about it. It's fun for, for me, um, you know, as Jeff's long-term friend. He was in my youth group, for those of you who don't know, the lead pastor. My name's Doug, by the way. I'm just a clown that comes like once a month and uh, just this old guy that they let speak because Jeff is, um, is he, every once in a while, he's got young kids. He needs a weekend off. So they, uh, they bring me in. But I've known Jeff for a lot of, lot of years, and it's fun to, um, to hear him talk with such excitement about, uh, about our community and um, to be able to see that. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that was. And uh, thanks, you guys, for coming all the way from Africa. Christian, I know that you don't come all the way from Africa. You just, you're right down the street, but you were originally from Africa. And uh, you were here last year when I spoke, and it was just a reminder of how uncoordinated that I am. So I have no, no rhythm whatsoever, and I was trying to hide behind people. Like, I just don't have it. So whatever it is, I don't dance. I, I, when I was in junior high, I may have told you this before, when I would go to a dance... I would just do baseball moves. That was my dance. Like, I just feel the ground. That was how I danced. So that is, I just don't have it. All right, hey, reach in your bulletin and pull out the outline for today. And I just want to throw out the word messy to you. Okay, messy to you. And aside from my dancing, what is, when you think of the word messy, what do you think of? Your house, okay? Kids. Your hair. Just be glad you have some hair, Rob, okay? You punk. Uh, what else? Life. Okay, it just kind of generals it, doesn't it, right there? Yeah, parenting. Dogs. Babies eating kitchen tables. Um, I was thinking about, for, for me, let me just tell you my week, a little bit of messy. Uh, this taxes were due on April 15th, right? Did anybody feel out of control, just out of curiosity? Like, couldn't find the receipts, what am I doing with stuff, panic, oh yeah, I, I had to file extensions for that, and I just realized, I just, I am, I'm so messy. That was Wednesday. We were given tickets to the Laker game, which doesn't happen enough, by the way. For those of you that have Laker tickets, it was the first time. Uh, it was the first time it happened all year. It was the last game of the season, and it was two of the worst teams playing. But we still said yes, we're going. Yes, I don't even have to pray about it. We're going. So Wednesday night is date night for Kathy and I, and we get in the car. We're actually talking to a friend uh, as we're in. We're both talking. We're both excited about this conversation. We drive. We get about an hour, about uh, forty-five minutes away. And I look at Kathy and do you have the tickets? Oh. Oh, we'd have to turn around, go get the tickets, and go back. That's just, I'm, I'm messy, okay? That's just my, my, my life. Thursday, I'm sending an email to a guy that I work with, in an or, and we're doing some consulting for another organization, and he writes, the other organization writes us an email, and I kind of write a little bit of a snappy, like, Here's how we're going to respond to this thing. Or basically, here's how you need to respond to this thing. And instead of just sending it to him, I hit reply all. Oh, yeah. Anybody ever done that one? Yeah. So now I'm Googling, how do you recall an email? Because they're in Atlanta, which is three hours away. I sent it about 11 o'clock. I was up for the next hour trying to figure out how. Then I just 
fell on the sword and just wrote a total apology letter that I'm an idiot. Da, 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 da. And then Friday, <laughs> Friday, I'm at um, CrossFit. I'm talking to the owner of this CrossFit gym who I've become friends with. And I said, how do you like the surprise, how do you like the surprise quilt that your wife gave you? I know, I know. And he looks at me and goes, what? And two weeks ago was the fifth anniversary. I was out of town. I didn't make it. I just assumed they gave him the quilt at the fifth anniversary. I actually found out he goes here and his wife, but they're not coming to this service. So I'm telling this story. This service won't tell it next service. I I mean, I just, the look in his eyes, like, oh. I thought, oh, I am such a screw-up. That was Friday. Yesterday, I thought, okay. Yesterday, I thought, here's what I'm doing. I'm, this is perfect, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to show you, okay? I don't feel good about this, but I'm going to show you my garage, okay? This was taken yesterday, okay? Zoom in just a little bit, okay? There's more. There's Mr. T in the background, which is very excited about. That's scary Mr. T. I put him in the shower at night in different places around doors for, to scare people, but that, that is my life. Now, some of you are looking at that and go, what does your bedroom look like? <laughs> actually very, very clean, very clean, because my wife uh, wants it that way, and in 30 years of marriage, I've learned that when you do things that she likes, there are certain fringe benefits, okay, that happen in the bedroom. I'm allowed to watch ESPN from bed, so that's uh, what I mean. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm just confessing. My, my world, my outer world, a lot of times is really messy, but if I'm really honest with you, my inner world. My inner world where my faith and my soul collide is also messier than I want it to be. That I know when I think, uh, you know, I've got messy thoughts. My faith is messy. I, I should pray more diligently than I do. I should, I should be in God's word more, more passionately than I am. I should be more compassionate for those who are hurting and wounded, and I I know that I have the capacity to be more generous. I'm I'm messy. I'm just curious, by show of hands, how many of you would say, Doug, when it comes to my faith, I'm kind of messy too. Just put your hands up. Just, oh, good. I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to be alone here. And if you didn't raise your hand, I was going to just remind you how you felt when you pulled in today and saw that the parking lot was closed off and see if you went, oh, praise the Lord. And if you did, then, you know, you don't need this message at all, okay? No, you, just like me, you've had spiritual commitments that you haven't kept. You've walked out of this church before and said, that is, I am, I am not going to do blank, whatever that is, anymore. And that resolve lasts about a day. Or you say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to drink that anymore. And that proclamation lasts until halftime. Okay? Or I'm not going to spend that. I'm not going to spend money on that. And that promise lasts until there's a really good sale. Okay? That here's what I find to be true with a lot of what I would call faith conversations that I have with people. Just kind of knee to knee, eye to eye. When we're talking about life and we get to the point of faith, Here's what I hear a lot of us, you, saying. I'm not as spiritual as I want to be. And here's what I, people even go more specific and say this. I'm 
I'm not a very good Christian. Now, if you can relate to that, you might also be able to relate to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote over half the books in the New Testament, probably the most passionate follower of Jesus that we have an example of. Look what he writes up on the screen or in your Bible or on your notes in Romans chapter 7. He says this, okay? Now, this is, this is the man, okay? He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do as good, what is good, but I don't. I don't know what is wrong. I, I, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I mean, what a, what a grasp of reality, the spiritual battle that, that lives within us. There's this, this battle of inconsistency where he sounds like this, in some ways, this spiritually tortured person, and yet I can identify with that so well. That there's so many times I want to do what is right, but I I don't. And if you can relate to what I would call spiritual inconsistency or messiness, and I, I know most of you can, maybe not all of you, a lot of you, you got it all together. Okay? Uh, but many of us in here can relate to that. Um, you know, that's one of, one of the things I love about the Bible. The Bible does not edit out, edit out the flaws of people. Okay? The Bible is filled with messy People, the spiritual heroes are messy. Do you remember Noah? Remember how great Noah is? Strong and courageous. He's given this an impossible task to build an ark. Many of us learned this in, in Sunday school growing up. We go, you know, what a, what a pillar of faithfulness, right? Two by two, they came. The flood came. A whole, you know, God does a reset with Noah. But then it's people like us, Bible teachers, that edit out the rest of Noah. What does Noah do after he gets off the ark? Anybody remember? He gets drunk and then gets naked. (laughs) How awesome is that? But we leave that that kind of stuff out. And, you know, Noah is this, this model of faithfulness, but could it be that even the most faithful struggle? Even the most faithful are messy. It shouldn't surprise us if, you've, if you do any reading in the Gospels and see the people that Jesus said, follow me, and you look at their life. I mean, just the disciples, okay? The disciples oftentimes come off as buffoons. I mean, just write in your notes off to the side, Matthew 26, and just read this one chapter. It's part of my quiet time this week, and as I'm reading Matthew 26, just in one chapter... There are so many buffoonery type things that these disciples do. Matthew 26, 14. Judas, we all know about Judas, but Judas says, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus? I mean, he's been following Jesus. He's been hearing it. He's been seeing all the miracles. And then he steps forward and says, how much will you pay me? Uh, Matthew 26, 31. Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, tonight, no, he says to all of them, tonight all of you will desert me. And Peter says, even if everyone else does, Lord, I won't. And then what happens? Jesus is arrested and somebody points out Peter and says, he is one of of Jesus's. And Peter says, I don't even know the man. (laughs) Really? 
Because you just a little bit ago said that you would never, never leave him. Matthew 26, 38, Jesus says this. These are his words. My soul is crushed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. He says this to Peter, James, and John. And what do they do? They fall asleep. Not once, but twice. You you guys, are you kidding? This is God in the flesh. He just asked you to stay awake. And then Jesus comes to be arrested. Same chapter. One of his disciples pulls out a sword, cuts off the dude's ear. Just his ear. Maybe he needed more sleep. Okay, I mean, it was just slight damage. But, I mean, what happened to all those sermons that he heard about Jesus from Jesus saying, turn the other cheek? No, I'm here to love. I mean, these people that followed Jesus, they were messy. They're messy just like you and just like me. So we are in good company. Now, why do I tell you all this? Am I saying this because God condones messiness? No, God doesn't condone our messiness. Listen very carefully. He redeems it. That's what you got to walk out of here with today. He doesn't condone our messiness. He redeems it. And instead of allowing your messiness to paralyze you, which some of you don't, I'm not a very good Christian. I'm just not a good He wants to take your messiness and he wants to transform it to holiness, that my messiness is the greenhouse of spiritual growth. My messiness is God's workshop for an authentic heart change. My messiness sets the stage for God's glory. And as I put in your notes, messiness can lead to holiness. And if you didn't know this, holiness is God's will for you. That's God's will, holiness. God's will is not that you would be nice people with finely tuned manners and always have a smile on your face and be polite and open the door for people. That's not God's desire for you. His desire is holiness, a total transformation of your character to resemble the character of Jesus. Let's take a look. In Hebrews 10.10, it says, For God's will was for us to be made what? Holy. How? By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all time. See, holiness is not available to you or me because we work for it. The work has already been done. Okay, The work has already been done on the cross. Holiness means this, to be set apart. When Jesus died on the cross for me, he set me apart from the world's way to his way. He provided a condition for me called holiness. Now, I put in your notes there, and I normally don't do this because I like to live on the lower shelf where I can hit everybody, but let me give you a big top shelf word. The word is sanctification, and sanctification is the process of becoming, that our messiness being turned into holiness is what sanctification is. Theologians refer to two types of sanctification. One is called positional sanctification, meaning that if you are a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, you have a position of holiness. The whole New Testament is filled with you are now holy, be holy, this type of thing. That is positional sanctification, that you are holy because of what God did on the cross through Jesus. What I'm talking about here today is not positional sanctification, but what's called progressive sanctification. That means this, that God may see me as holy, but my lifestyle changes toward holiness. Does that make sense? 
that I've been given a new clothing. That's positional. I've been given, I've been, I've been set apart. I've been forgiven. That's positional sanctification. Progressive sanctification is now for the rest of my life, I am progressing to live a holy life. You tracking with me? If you are, nod your head. Okay? All right, because I want to make sure that you get that. When you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, forgiven, holy, set apart, progressive sanctification is now, what does it look like to live it out? Okay? And I, the, and I don't know if this works. I've never used this illustration before, so I'm, I'm just trying it on you. I want you to think, um, uh, those of us in here over 40, raise your hand if you had a Polaroid camera. Okay? Yeah, a Polaroid camera. Those were the ultimate selfies. Uh, you just took it and then... Now... Actually, the younger generation, my daughter, who's 20, like two years ago, she bought a Polaroid camera. Dad, this is the coolest thing. You've never seen this before. I'm like, are you kidding me? Okay, I told her I invented it. But, you know, so now the Polaroid camera is coming out. Let me show, for those of you that, that don't know, Polaroid camera looked like, looked like this, the one on, on the right, and you'd press a button and it would come out. Now, it comes out with nothing on it. And then what you would do, the younger generation here, you don't really know this, you'd take it and you'd what? You shake it. You kind of shake it for whatever reason. And those of you from Africa, it's shake it like this. This is, we don't have to like shake it like this, okay? You guys would do that. No, just shake it, shake it like this, all right? It's very calm, it's very, it's very godly, okay? Now, here's kind of the idea. And what happens is, look, at, for those of you that don't know how this works, an image would slowly appear. Okay, that image would slowly appear. And this is kind of the idea of sanctification. That positional sanctification is snap, you are a new, boom, you are a new creation, Doug. Okay, now progressive sanctification is then God shakes it. He shakes it and... I don't appear, but who? Jesus. Okay? I mean, and see, what happens is, my, immediately I appear. Okay, immediately I appear. That, and then, but progressive sanctification is God keeps shaking and, oh, still looks like you, Doug. <laughs> You're still doing the same stuff you've always been doing. Keep shaking and shaking. Oh, I see a little bit of, I see a little resemblance to Jesus. Keep, he just keeps shaking it until Jesus appears. All right? That's my whole life. The rest of my life, since I was 17 years old, when I stepped across the line in my faith, God has been shaking that, okay? His arm must be very tired with me, all right? Okay, and then, then the goal is for holiness is for Jesus to be the rest of my life to, to live that out. Here's how I would describe sanctification. Sanctification is God saying, I love you. I love you so much that I don't want you to stay the same. And because I love you, I'm going to change you into something really beautiful. Okay? That's, that's what God does. Okay? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the scripture. Second Corinthians, Paul talks about this change being changed into the image of God. Second Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious nature. That is God's dream for all of us messy people to shake it, change us 
sanctify us into his glorious nature. Now, if you're here today and you have never said yes to the beautiful invitation that your old can pass away and bam, just like that, you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and you are a new creation, positional sanctification. You are holy to begin this process of becoming holy. You can do it right now. See, people say to me all the time, you know what, Doug, I, you know, I heard you speak at that, that church, and I'd like, to, I'd like to go to that church sometime, but, you know, I, I got to get my act together. You know, I'm really, you know, we're going through some tough stuff, and I'm a guy, I got to get my act together, and then I'll come to church. That's insane. Now, I don't say that to them, okay, but that, that, that is actually insane. Only the Fields family does things like this. A couple times a year, we have a housekeeper. Okay, we have a housekeeper come in where my wife just goes, we are paying somebody to do this. It's about two times a year. The problem with those days is we spend all morning cleaning up. Oh, you're laughing. You do the same thing. You're insane too, aren't you? We spend all morning cleaning up in preparation for the housekeeper. Anybody else? I'm just curious. You can... You can call out your spouse. Thank you. I appreciate that. Not pointing at her. I love that. Yeah, that, that is insane. Fortunately, that's not the way that God works. You don't have to clean up first. You put your faith in him and he begins the cleaning process. Now I put in your notes and actually we'll throw this on the screen. An awareness of your messiness is a really good thing because it leads to spiritual growth. But a misunderstanding of messiness, or when we don't grasp sanctification, it's not a good thing. I'll tell you where it leads to. I put a couple things in your notes. First, it leads to what I call spiritual apathy, where you say, I don't care. It's when people say, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a very good Christian. And within that defeating statement, what happens is people retreat from the faith journey. So they either give up altogether. I'm not a very good Christian. So they give up meaning they, they walk away from God, they walk away from church, they walk away from their faith, or they don't give up completely, they just have apathy. They live what I would call a powerless life, where their faith has become about tradition, they'll go a couple times a year, it becomes about routine, it's not personal or powerful. I have, um, I have golf apathy. Okay? I have golf app. Let me, let me try to illustrate it this way. I have golf. Um, people say, do you play golf? And I usually respond with, well, I'm not very good. That's my public statement. The private statement is, no, I don't play golf. Okay? I mean, you know, it, I gave away my clubs. Um, it, you know, I don't have five hours and 150 bucks to waste being ticked off the entire time. And I'm too insecure to wear plaid shorts with a beret hat and say, you demand, you know, that type of thing. I'd rather play a real sport. Real sports don't have their stars named Fuzzy and Tiger and Chi-Chi, you know, so, but uh, anyway, what's the point? Point is, I don't, I don't like it. I don't care about it. It's, it, it's, it's confusing. There's all these, you know, every club has a different number. There's these rules that you, where you can walk on when you get to the, the putting green, you can't smack people with the flagpole, you know, all the stuff that would be fun. I can't keep track of the animals that are involved. There's a, a, there's a birdie and an eagle and uh, three putts in a row as a turkey or, you know, something like that. And the last time I played, they made me tee off from where the ladies tee off. 
So uh, I, I have golf apathy. Now, if you invite me to Mission Viejo Country Club, I might go Christmas or Easter. Okay. But I, I don't care about it. See, now, fortunately for me, golf apathy is not going to change my life. But spiritual apathy will impact your whole life. It'll impact your choices. It'll impact your relationships. It'll impact your discernment, your wisdom, your peace. Spiritual apathy will impact every area of your life. It'll impact being known by a, a community of other people. See, when you misunderstand messiness to holiness, you're either apathetic, I don't care, or what happens is you move into the second posture, what I call spiritual acting, where I pretend. And I see this a lot. This is, this is done by people who know inside they're messy, but they don't want anybody else to know, so they pretend to have it all together. The result, they live in this superficial land because people only know their fictional character that they've created for everybody else. You've seen these people. Nothing's ever wrong with them. How are you doing? Good. 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 I'm real good. Good. How are you? Praise the Lord. Good. Good. And you say, oh, I, I, I thought I heard you had a miscarriage. I, you know, God, God has his plans. Everything is good. But your husband's been out of work for a year. Still, still good. Still good. Everything's fine. Just, you know, just a minor setback. Have a good day now. You know, and they just never, they never wipe that smile off their face. And, and, and what happens is people, when they see spiritual pretenders, they get discouraged. Because they, they actually feel, they're dying in a pile of reality. They live in the real world. And they get discouraged because they can't be like that. When I was a teenager, I gave my life to Christ. As my parents took me to church at different times. But when I kind of, I knew I stepped across the line. There were some people in my life that came alongside me to disciple me. And, uh, and one guy I kind of knew from a distance, he was just... He was just funny, and he was handsome, and he had a great marriage, and he had all this stuff going on. And I thought, if that's what being a Christian is, I can't do that. The guy does nothing wrong. His life is, is perfect. And then, and I began to think, I said yes to Jesus, but I'm still saying yes to other stuff that I probably shouldn't be saying yes to. I don't think I can live a perfect life like that guy's living. Now, that was from a distance. I didn't know him very well, but I thought he was perfect. At that same time, there was an intern at our church that moved into our house who was actually living, sharing a bedroom with me. And I, I liked this guy. I looked up to him. He was funny. He was cool. All, But in the first month that he was living in my house, his fiance broke up with him. He blew out his knee in a flag football game, so he was, had surgery. was on crutches. He totaled his car, and... He got fired by the church. Okay? And I looked at him and I thought, I can do that. Okay? I can, if that guy's a Christian, if that's, I, I mean, I, I can do that. And that actually, it gave me so much hope. And one of the reasons that I love, I love this, this church is because it is filled with messy people. Okay? If you're visiting with us, 
you're sitting next to some screwed up people. Okay, I mean, I, I'm, I'm telling you, you just stay here for a year and you're going you're gonna to hear messy stories about uh, addictions and uh, prostitution and affairs and abuse and wild stuff. And that's just from the pastors here. Okay? <laughs> now, actually, stop and, um, stop and think about the words that that I just used because I chose them specifically. Addictions, affairs, abuse, prostitutes. Isn't it interesting that those are the types of people that Jesus hung out with? I find that fascinating. Messy people, broken people, people who didn't have it together. And yet, you know who nauseated Jesus? The spiritual performers. See, Jesus was the recipient of their scorn because he hung out with thieves and prostitutes and liars. Take a look at what he says about spiritual pretenders, especially for those that you might live in that pretending category. He says, you won't go wrong in following their teachings. This is a paraphrase. But be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polished veneer. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. How do you really feel, Jesus, uh, about about that? You know, if, if you're messy and you don't want other people to find out, Can I yell, ollie, ollie, oxen free? Remember that game of hide and go seek? Ollie, ollie, oxen free, get found. Can I I just challenge you to um, open your heart up and share it in your life group where you're broken and you're messy because you will be met by other messy people. I promise that. Instead of sharing prayer requests every week about your mother's, aunt's, neighbor's mole removal. You know, we need to pray for her. You know, uh, know, share something big about yourself. Share about how you just, you tell people you're a social drinker, but you're not. You know it's deeper and more intense than that, but you're, you're fearful. Share about your concern that you're always one click away from entering into a fantasy land that is messing with your soul. Drop your mask and let them know that you look like you're a a normal, happy couple, but really you're lonely and you're strangers to one another in your own marriage. See, when you tell the truth in a community of other messy people who are in the process of being sanctified towards holiness, something big happens. Now, You can go the two routes that I've talked about. You can have spiritual apathy. I don't care. You can have spiritual performance where I pretend. But the route that I really want to move you toward, the journey that I I think you want to be on, that's why you came here today, is is the journey. when When we understand messiness and we grasp sanctification, it can lead to spiritual growth. So I don't pretend. Instead, I follow in the midst of my messiness. I'm going to follow. Now, let me give you the bad news. What you follow, it's like a construction zone. 
Yeah, you've, we've all been around construction zone. It's messy. There's gravel. There's dirt. There's delay. There's people getting in the way. They're taking you out of your normal comfort zone and your detour. That's the bad news. The good news, it's a new route. It's a new destination. It's a new goal, and that is holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite verses. This means that anyone, I love that, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. That word begun, in my mind, it means under construction. If I had the finances to give every one of you a Polaroid camera, I don't even have the finances to give you a Polaroid picture, okay? But when I'd film, I, what I'd have you right underneath it on that white part is under construction, okay? Under construction because that, he becomes a new person. The old life has begun where God says, hey, we've broken ground on this guy's heart. Holy Spirit, grab the maps, grab the game plan. Let, let's, let's go to work. That's God's job. God's job is to change us from the inside out. Our job is to follow him. And as I put there in your notes, to trust him in his unfinishedness, in your unfinishedness. Look up on the screen. It's also in your notes. You're trusting that God is working in the midst of your spiritual journey, even when it's filled with fears and doubts and questions and inadequacies, pain, loneliness, anger, all the messy parts, that's what we're trusting. I'm going to follow in the midst of my messiness. Do you want a picture of a messy journey? Join me on Thanksgiving and go to the Dana Point Turkey Trot. Okay, has anybody been to the Dana Point Turkey Trot? Okay, there's thousands of people. So some of you know this. Every year, I go with my friend Dan to run this, this 6K for six-plus miles 90% are like me. They just want to run the race. There's 10% that they are whacked out. I mean, they dress up. There's like Santa pushing a keg of beer and, you know, faster than me, which always bothers me. But, you know, uh, Santa, there, there's the woman Elvis that, again, she just passes me up. There's the old dude whose pants are so high it's gross. You know, there, there is all these, these different, it's, a, it's such a great picture of Weird and odd and messy on this, this journey. And I think that I, we were running one time and I told Dan, that's us. Weird, odd, messy. Running this race on this journey where we're putting our faith that God is working in us. And see, God has a track record of redeeming messiness. If you want homework, okay, which who doesn't? Right? Uh, but, you know, if you wanted homework, just this week, read 1 Corinthians. Read, read the whole book. What you'll see is the Apostle Paul paints this, this beautiful picture of Jesus. Beautiful picture of Jesus. While at the same time dealing with the Corinth church that is, that is going through incestuous affairs, vicious lawsuits, divorce, idol worship, inflated egos, doctrinal infighting, jealousy, sexual promiscuity, and getting drunk during communion. Okay, All that stuff is happening. In the midst of that, he paints this beautiful, glorious picture of what it means to follow Jesus. In the midst of the Corinth church's unfinished messiness, spiritual growth takes place. So, you might be thinking, do we encourage people to fail 
So they'll grow spiritually? Is that what you're saying? No. We encourage people to grow. And in their growth, they will fail. Okay? And, in the, and in their failure, God shows up. And he redeems our messiness and puts it and moves it towards holiness. That's the promise. Here's the scripture I want you to leave with today thinking about. In Philippians 1.6, I love this promise. Apostle Paul says, I'm certain that God who began the good work, where? Within. Began the good work within you, will, and in my notes, I've circled the next three words, continue his work. That is sanctification. He will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You and I are unfinished. Okay? We're under construction. But we don't have to be paralyzed by our messiness. We don't have to move to apathy. We don't have to pretend that our messiness can fast forward us to, to spiritual growth. And let me just let you in on a little secret. God is not, he's not afraid of your unfinishedness. He's not afraid of your messiness. He was willing to leave a dozen messy, unfinished disciples to change the world. You see, when he died on the cross, he left these followers confused, doubtful, afraid, and they are the ones that took that message that revolutionized the world. Why, 2,000 years later, we come and we sing and worship him in multiple languages. Okay? He is not afraid of your messy. As a matter of fact, messy is what got him into trouble. Messy is what landed Jesus on the cross with this preposterous idea that the broken and the screwed up people could actually be holy. Look to the screen. According to the critics of Jesus, he did God all wrong. He went to the wrong places. He said the wrong things. He hung out with the wrong people. And he told the riffraff that they could be part of the kingdom of God. Don't you think that today he could do the same thing with your messiness and my messiness? That we might, re we might label them unredeemable, that they can actually be redeemable? Don't you suppose that the mess that we've made out of our lives in his hands can be changed? into something great? I do. And that's my prayer for us. Let's pray together. Let me just ask you in the silence of your hearts, can you just admit that, that you're a mess in a lot of different ways? See, when you do, Jesus shows up unexpectedly. Jesus is, he's attracted to the unattractive. He's He's attracted to the lost over the found, the humble losers over the pride-filled winners. Jesus leans into our brokenness, and messy doesn't bother him. And when we're done praying, some of you, you, you may just want to be prayed for, and I encourage you to respond that way. Come forward and let the people who come here every week to pray for you pray for you. They're messy too. God, today we celebrate the fact that you love us enough to use our messiness to move us toward holiness. Give us the courage to be people who stop pretending and live the truth. And we commit to trust you in our unfinishedness and pursue you with faith that the good work you began, that you will continue. We pray with faith in the mighty name of Jesus.
Can we thank Doug for sharing that with us today? Let's all stand to our feet. And as Doug said, if any of you want to step forward today and pray with somebody, there will be people up here near the front to pray with you. And I do know and believe that there are some of you in here who just feel so far away from God. And today is the first day where you say, I'm, I'm coming back. Right, man. And uh, let's sing this song that I believe captures this morning. Let this be our reminder of how we got here today and who he is. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace, twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy grace today.
go ahead and put your hands out. Let's receive God's blessings. God, we don't want to be the same people we leave here. Thank you for the gift of changing us. Thank you that you did a work on the cross that we can't do for ourselves. Thank you that you love us so much, that you don't want us to stay the same. We receive that love, and we leave different people. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Blessings.